Genesis 2. So glad you're being faithful to these, these studies and foundations because you need to know why you believe what you believe. Sometimes people believe things. They don't know why. They could never explain it. And for our young people's sake, in this crazy um, society that's drifting ever farther from the Word of God, it's very helpful to be able to, for them to know how they know why they believe what they believe. Genesis chapter 2, and of course the book of Genesis is the foundation of everything. And as such, um, the fountainhead, um, we have to go back to that, as Jesus did, and we'll see in a few moments. So let's look at Genesis 2, verse 8, it says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from thence it was parted and became into four heads. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. And I pray that you'll help us to open our hearts to all that you have to say for us. Help us, Lord, to be able to focus now in our minds and our thoughts on this, your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 2 again, I want you to notice what it says now in verse 11. The name of the first river, that is, is Pison. That's Italian river for Brother Remo back there. He likes that. That is it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. There is Delium and the onyx stone. Now, wait a minute. God put gold in the Garden of Eden. And then he said that the gold, this specific gold, is good. 24 karat gold, I guess. And then at the end of verse 12, he mentions beautiful jewels. So that there's gold and jewels and amazing fruit trees, pleasant to the sight, he says, and good for food. Look at verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Ah, so before the fall, now follow this carefully, before there was sin... There was desire, there was beauty, there was value, there was also labor and responsibility. Verse 15 again, and the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. That's work. Now, he didn't have the sweat of the brow, that's the curse, but he had work, he had labor and responsibility. Verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Wow, all of this, folks, all of this before sin and before depravity. Yes. And beloved, in a series on foundations, it is incredibly helpful to realize the truth about work and money and possessions and desire and wealth. Genesis 1 and 2 obviously uses the word good a lot, as we noted last week and the week before. Everything really was good. Everything was obviously good in its purest form. There were blessings, as we noted in our second study. These blessings were created by God and intended by God to bless. He invented the word, the whole idea. He's a good God, so he wanted us to be blessed. And again, it was before the fall. It was before the introduction of sin and the curse that man was already given this responsibility of taking care of these blessings to dress the garden, to keep the garden. 
However, he was also told by God that there was something in the garden that was not his. It was not for him to be blessed by. It was not his to enjoy. It was not his to receive. It was not his to claim. Chapter 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now let me just say this. It is impossible folks, to fully understand what the Bible teaches about possessions, about wealth, about money, until and unless you first understand what money is. I mean, do you even know what money is as a method of exchange? Because I'm telling you, you spend the majority of your day, every day of your life, either making money, making money, that's eight hours or nine or ten, Saving that money and then spending that money. Almost all of your waking hours are involved around that as a method of exchange. And money is only powerful in that it enables you to acquire more things that we call blessings, it, things that people have or want to have. Well, because that's what money is, the second absolutely critical thing we must understand from the foundations is why it is that 1 Timothy 6.10 says the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money. The love of money is the root of all evil. And again, nothing really makes sense, folks, until you first grasp what blessings, what money is, and why an inordinate affection for it is so very destructive. So look at chapter 2 again, verse 19. It says, And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, and he brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. Now, I think you get the picture here. The Bible says that, that God made all of these wonderful and amazing creations, brought them to Adam and then waited, the Bible says, waited to see what he, Adam, would name them. It's, it's basically the same thing what a father does. He buys his little child a pet, that puppy or that kitty, and he lets the child typically name the pet. People who own things get to name them. Some kids even name their toys. They might even write their name on their toy, like on the bottom of Woody's boot including big boys with their big toys, boats, and jets. Does anybody know what President, ex-President Trump's jet looks like? Yeah, it just says Trump. And they have boats, and they name them Real Obsession or Off Course. I saw one that was named My Last Boat, Roman numeral 4, probably after his last boat, number 3, and so on. My grandpa's neighbor had a boat that had Isaiah 43.2. That was the name of it on the back. And, of course, that says, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And that's good. You get to name whatever belongs to you, right? Well, guess what? You'll notice that there was one thing that Adam did not get to name. God named it. And God called it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Go back to verse 9, would you? 
And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that was pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, hear me carefully. We don't know how many trees tonight there were in the Garden of Eden, trees that God made that were, quote, pleasant to the sight and good for food. We don't know the exact number. It must have been an amazing amount. But we do know that they were all a part of the garden that Adam kept and that Adam dressed by God's mandate. And they were all his to enjoy. And you may have noticed the word freely there in verse 16. Every tree of the garden, he said, Adam, thou mayest freely eat. That means without obligation. Think of that. Everything in that garden was his to enjoy. And he had, all he had to do was dress it and keep the garden. We'll work for food, so to speak. And guess what? All was well. And of course, there was this one critical exception because God wants man to have a free will. He could enjoy everything that there there was except for what was not his. Remember, he named everything. Everything he could enjoy except for that one thing that was not his. And the one thing that wasn't his was the one thing he did not name. Keep your hands off, Adam, God said, because this belongs to someone else. In fact, notice what else God made for man. Chapter 2. And verse 20, turn ahead. And Adam gave names to all cattle and all the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found in help meat for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. The woman was not made out of dirt. Adam was. She was made from a higher form. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Across the page, chapter 3, verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. So along with other things for man to receive as blessings from God, the highest, greatest created in God's image blessing was a woman's love and bond. And he got to name her too. But you'll notice It said a woman. We said a woman's love. Look again at chapter 2 and verse 24. Therefore God said, Shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife? And they, that's one man, one woman, they shall have be one flesh. That's the foundation of marriage. We're going to discuss that later. It's not what man makes up. It's what God says. Now hear me carefully. Because, folks, you are beginning to get a picture here, at least you should be, right at the very beginning of creation, long before the law. Understand that. Long before the whole story of Exodus and the law. Right at the very beginning, the single most important principle, if you will, truth about possessions, about blessings, about money is here. Money is a means of getting more possessions. That's all. And the principle is this. A. Some things in this world are yours. They're just yours. And God designed it to be that way. Either they were given to you and or you worked for them, you earned them, as we'll see that in the weeks ahead. And B, some things in this world are not yours. Now, 
wanting things that other people have that are theirs, wanting things that are not yours is called covetousness. Long before the law was ever written. Acquiring things that are not yours is called stealing. Long before the law was ever written and said, Thou shalt not steal. And folks, herein is the reason why the love of money is the root of all evil. It is the root, the love of it. Chapter 3, look at verse 1. Now the servant was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. First thing Satan always does is question the word of God. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the, tree of the, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Now wait a minute. Eve, this woman, really should not even be having this discussion, right? It's, it's not hers. It is one thing to desire something. It's another thing to be fixated on that desire when it's already established that it's just not yours. It's called covetousness. Chapter 3, verse 6. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes. Now, how did she see that the tree was good for food and pleasant to the eyes? How can, you, how can it be pleasant to your eyes unless you're standing really close to it, looking at it? And why would she be doing that? Look at verse 6 again. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, that's what the devil told her. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also under a husband with her and he did eat. Now, folks, let's ask the obvious questions tonight in light of the fact that this is the beginning this is, as we said all along, this is the foundation of everything, including finances. Now, I said it already, money takes up almost all, whether you like it or not, it does. It is a means of exchange for things, stuff. Finances, the beginning, the foundation of it in the whole history of man is right here. Adam and Eve took and ate this fruit. Here's my question. Did they pay for it? Did they earn it? Did the owner of it give it to them? Actually, the owner of it told them, do not touch. So the question is, why did she take it? And furthermore, why was she willing to sacrifice everything, literally everything that she had, same with Adam, for the sake of one thing? One thing. Because you know something? That is the root of all evil. From Adam and Eve to Achan to Ahab and Naboth to Joseph's brothers to Jacob and Esau to the Pharisees to the Caesars to Alexander the Great, kings and popes and Hitlers and Stalins and yes, Judas Iscariot who had the bag, the money. All the way to some little shop owner who's in jail right now because he was willing to sacrifice everything that he had as a blessing for the sake of one thing he didn't have. You know, folks, when you hear about so-called brilliant CEOs, these brilliant Harvard Business School graduates, 
And these brilliant men who in, are, they already enjoy a $100 million a year annual salary, but they go to jail and they lose all of it just to get another $1 million illegally. Madoff, Enron, Barclays, Dennis Grasso, Jeff Skelly, Kozlowski, Dennis Abbott. I mean, the list goes on, and there will be another one tomorrow. And there, it's just one after another. You hear about these people who are family men, who are highly regarded, who have these sterling reputations and these wonderful portfolios and all their background, and they wonder, how do they do this? When I lived in Knoxville as youth director, there was a man there who was once the mayor of Knoxville, and he was a beloved, well-known attorney. I mean, his name is on, still on places there, but he shot himself because he tried to steal a bunch of money. He already had a bunch of money. How do they do this? So many of them are in jail now and will die in jail just because they wanted what wasn't theirs to have. While all along they had the, every tree of the garden for themselves. You say, well, Pastor, the devil made them do it. The devil did not make Eve do it. And even so, more today, Satan doesn't have that power. You notice he used the serpent, and the serpent didn't have any arms, didn't have any feet. You know what that means? He was disarmed and defeated. Ah, uh, I know, terrible. Ah, uh, no, it's just a woman's fault. No, all the names I just mentioned of these, see, those are all men, full of covetousness. People say women are crazy and men are idiots, but women are crazy because men are idiots. Amen? That's probably true. But that brings us to the first sort of principle here you see in the Scriptures concerning this whole notion that some things are yours and some things are not yours. And this has fallen on hard times in the United States of America today where major corporations are leaving cities because they can't keep stuff on shelves. And there are people with, with unbiblical, anti-biblical, sociological views that think that's a good thing. Redistribution of wealth. We may get into that next week. The first principle, number one, concerns the natural desires of men, you and I. You'll notice again very carefully that there's a connection between what God gave Adam and what he didn't give Adam. Go to chapter 2 again. Verse 9 says, And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Go to verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. In other words, look. God wanted, this is an amazing thing if you think about it. God wanted Adam to desire the things that he made as good to the eyes and food. And as such, therefore, the desire was not evil. If anything, it was righteous. Verse 12 says, the gold, the gold of the land was good. Well, you know what that means? That means good. It was good in every way. God made it to be admired. God made it to be desirable. Folks, he's even paved the streets of heaven with it. God created gold. I have a ring that is, I've had for 44 years. It's, it's gold. 
and has hardly changed at all. It's amazing. I held in my hands some of these gold coins from the Jupiter ship shipwreck. Remember that these two surfers, just if you go on the jetty and you look to the right, about 100 yards out there, these two surfers fell off their board surfing and they saw a, what looked like a cannon down there in 1987, the year I moved here, moved back here. And sure enough, there was a shipwreck there. And you know the gold coins that I held in my hand were from 1659. And they were still gold. I mean, the cannon looked terrible. What an amazing creation. God made it to look good, to be malleable, to be usable. Here are all these trees. And God says, these trees I made to be pleasant to your eyes. You ever go out and look at trees? How gorgeous they are and beautiful. I'm getting pictures from my family from Alaska. It's amazing. Here are all these trees, and they're beautiful, pleasant to the eyes, and good for food. But watch this carefully. Again, chapter 3, verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, wait a minute. In other words, folks, for the very same reasons that this tree, this fruit and tree, that was not hers, it was not hers, was just as desirable as the fruit and the trees that were hers. And by the way, remember that at this point, Eve was still, quote, innocent. There's no sin. She hasn't sinned yet. So that even here, her desire and Adam's desires were not necessarily a bad thing. And neither are yours. You have a desire to acquire some of the blessings that God has made available to enjoy the things in this world that God has. I can remind you what Paul said in 1 Timothy under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 6.17. He said, God hath given us richly all things to enjoy. That's biblical. You're not supposed to go up on the top of a hill, live a monastic life, and eat herbs and, and wear robes. That's not God's plan. There's nothing wrong with enjoying what God says I created for you to enjoy. There's nothing wrong either for desiring it for people that you love, that you want the people you love to have these things, just like Adam, God loved Adam, and God wanted Adam to have these things. God has a divinely ordained mechanism by which to acquire things that you desire, to acquire things that God has. And it includes dressing, keeping, that's laboring and working and gift, gifting. What it does not include is smash and grab. What it does not include is corporate raiding. What the Bible calls unjust gain. God will bless the things that he wants you to have in the way in which he wants you to have them. But that leads to a second important principle here in the beginning, which is number two, the natural desire of man is never satisfied with those things. Now follow this very carefully. This is vital. Young people, hear this very carefully. God created these things to be enjoyed. But your natural desire for any and all of these things they may be satisfying, but you will never be satisfied with those things, no matter how much of it you have or you get. It's the one who made those things. He wants you to be sat. You will be satisfied and only be satisfied in him. And we'll discuss that in the weeks ahead. But look at chapter two, verse 16. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. What a great thing. Verse 19, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever, and whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. One of the things you're going to notice about these verses is that God likes to use the word every, 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 every. We just read it several times. Every tree of the garden, every beast, every fowl. Last week we talked about all the species. Every living creature. And in fact, everything in that garden and in the world and really in the solar system effectively belonged to one man and pretty soon to one woman. You know, Elon's the richest man in the world, whatever. Nothing compared to Adam. Matter of fact, Eve was the richest woman in the history of the world. And yet, did you notice? It's not enough. All that they both had, it still wasn't enough. I want to remind you tonight that what the Bible teaches over and over and over again, and in this book from cover to cover, but especially from the foundation, is that you can never, ever, ever have enough money or possessions to satisfy once and for all, your natural desires. And in part because the natural desire was created to want more. It was made to want more. If you eat a peach off of a tree, pretty soon you're going to want another one. It was sweet, it was tasty, and it was satisfying. And it was meant to be eaten again somewhere down the road. It's like a Lay's potato chip. Sure, you can't just eat just one or whatever. And this is why God makes trees that continue to produce. Because God knows that we will want it again. And by the way, you'll notice in Genesis, it's not just produce. The ground that God created isn't stingy, folks. It produces richly, generously, prolifically. And as long as we obey God, as long as we do what he says about dressing and keeping, the earth will always provide what man needs and wants forever. But don't forget this. Never forget this. The natural desire of mankind for these things never satisfies no matter how much man gets. When they asked Warren Buffett why he kept working at his, at his age and how much money did he really need to make, he quoted John D. Rockefeller. He quoted John D. Rockefeller exactly and he said just a little bit more. Money Magazine had a fascinating article some time ago. I read it about the affluence of Orange County, California. The median income there is 80% higher than the entire rest of the country. And in this survey of the residents there, it was asked, how much more money would you need to make you truly fulfilled and happy? And the answer, on average, was 30% more than they already had. The richest county in America. I'm going to tell you something. You can give them 50% more. And it still wouldn't be enough. If the natural desire of man were ever satisfied, then everybody would already be satisfied. Everybody. Let me put it to you another way. If money could buy happiness, then the happiest people on the earth would be the richest people on the earth. How many have seen that be the true case? Of course that's not the case. The richest people in America fill the rooms of the Betty Ford Clinic. They live in anxiety and distress and deep suicidal depression. 
I read about a fam, I won't give her name, but a fame. everybody here would know the name if I said it. She's worth $570 million. She's an entertainer. She's always on pills. She goes from one relationship to the next. She's filthy rich. I know 42-year-old clerks who are happier than this woman. I know 42-year-old missionaries' wives who are not dissatisfied and living their lives in misery. And again, beloved, it is absolutely crucial to accept and understand that the natural desire of man will never be satisfied, not the natural desires with these kinds of blessing. So there's never such thing as enough money. And verse 12 again talks about gold, 1849. Who knows what that year is about? You don't have to say it. Anybody know what 1849 is? It's the gold rush. The 49ers. It was called gold fever. And they shot each other over a little place where they might find more or more gold. The consumerism that's eating away at people in American society is based on the assumption that if I can get more, somehow I'll be happy. That somewhere out there, there's a point of wealth acquisition that will satisfy my heart. It's one of the lies of Satan himself. And you know, it's why people buy things that they don't need with money they don't have to impress people they don't even like. What a vicious cycle. Ecclesiastes 1.8 says, The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. So that no matter how much a man sees or enjoys, as Solomon says, under the sun, there's a lot to see under the sun. There's a lot to have under the sun, but it's never, ever, ever enough. And if anybody on this planet would know that true, it would be Solomon. Proverbs 27.20 says, Hell and destruction are never full. So, also, the eyes of man are never satisfied. Never, Pastor? Never. Not in those things. Now, obviously, this is quite the dilemma, right? Because since man desires his natural flesh since the fall, now it's carnal and it is tainted. So then in today's world, it is a much different issue than for even Adam and Eve because now it's different as in it's much, much more destructive. So what do you do? If the love of money is the root of all evil, how do you keep from loving it? And also, how is the heart ever satisfied if it's not in the things of this world that is God's physical creation? There are several things in the Bible that address and answer that very question. Because everybody in this room knows people. I know people. We all, they're in this room. All of us know people who are satisfied and at peace right now. They're already satisfied. They are content, as the Bible says, with such things as they have. There are people. There are multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of people. Some of them are very wealthy. Some of them are relatively poor. Some of them are in all points in between. These are people up and down the scale who have discovered the secret, it's not really a secret, but they discovered the secret of joy and contentment and financial freedom. Financial freedom, Pastor? You know, it's funny when I see these commercials talk about the path to, quote, financial freedom. By freedom, what they mean is just enough money or a little more money than you need in your nest egg or your retirement to be free from worry. Really? Financial freedom. Here in Palm Beach County, you ought to know this, as much as anybody in this state, 
there are so many people who should have financial freedom because they are infinitely farther along than you are financially. But they worry and they fight and they fret over a dry cleaning bill being a dollar more than they thought. Say, well, what are you talking about? That's a personal experience standing in a dry cleaning place. This guy got out of his Bentley and he was arguing with this young little girl about how dare you charge me a dollar more. I'm like, my goodness. I was thinking, the whole time, isn't your time worth more? He spent 20 minutes. I had to leave. Arguing over a dry cleaning bill. I wanted to walk by his Bentley, put a ding in it, and just see how he argued about that. <laughs> that man is not free. That man is enslaved by his very own possessions. Real financial freedom is being free from the love of money. It is not being fooled by what the Bible calls the deceitfulness of riches. I know you've all heard the expression, follow the money. Follow the money is an axiom that is used in criminal justice, in politics, even in wars and revolutions. I can promise you, Washington, D.C., everything that's going on, follow the money. It's a simply a known fact that the biggest things in the world, the largest things in the world, can almost always be traced back to the smallest and the most petty of human vices. Greed, covetousness, envy, theft. Without those common elements of our fallen nature, Shakespeare would not have had anything to write about. Nothing. What's the answer, Pastor? Well, I think most of you know the answer, but that's the next few lessons in this series as well, because it's the foundation. You know, we just read a little bit about the fall of man. There are two schools of thought in the world right now. Man is naturally good, man is naturally bad. If you're wrong on one of those, you're going to be wrong about everything else, including blessings and the satisfying of those blessings. Suffice it to say that modern psychology which is a joke, and ancient philosophy and Marxist ideology and progressive city mayors have utterly and completely failed in every unbiblical approach that they've taken to how to satisfy the human heart. The whole notion of redistribution of wealth which our, our, for our pilgrims tried from the Mayflower. They tried to do that, if you may remember. It was a colossal failure. I'll remind you of what our Lord Jesus said. Jesus said, and we'll close with this, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, I know everybody quotes that, the truth shall set you free, but that's not what he said. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The more truth you know, the more truth you obey, the more truth you submit yourself to, the more and more free you are from the flesh, the world, and the devil. And beloved, he was talking about this truth. He was talking about the very truth that we're studying in this series. And I know that in part because one of Jesus' premier statements in the New Testament was, from the beginning it was not so. Ye have heard it hath been said, I say unto you, 
from the beginning, it was not so. Well, if we want to know the truth that makes us free, we have to go back to the beginning. And God's people said, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, help us see covetousness for what it really is. Greed. Stealing. That these are all unjust gain. And Lord, in as much as our young people are, are watching or hearing or seeing even every day, stealing, being justified, even glorified in this society and the destruction that it's causing and leading to help us all to understand why the love of money is the root of all evil, that Eve coveted something that wasn't hers, and she and Adam took something that wasn't theirs, in spite of the fact that we have all these blessings to enjoy. Help us to be grateful and content and recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from you. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' precious name, amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.